Wise Wise with Aaron and Alexander uncovering our authentic self through self-awareness conscious communication and emotional responsibility so jumping off our last podcast which was a two-part series on word associations let's talk about other associations in our life it seems like Everything we go through has or can have an association that we attach to that. Uh, So when we experience something else in our lives, uh, whether it be watching a movie or going through uh, (laughs) like something we've discussed uh, a few times in podcasts, my Pennsylvania experience going through Pennsylvania, I had an association with that because it created a, a sense uh, as we were going through it, uh, just a weird sense that I got that didn't sit right with me, and it was somewhere I definitely did not want to move to. Uh, but let's get into that, Alexander. Let's let's discuss other associations other than word. Most of us in this culture is a product of uh, the association with all of these, all of our senses. So we go through uh, different mini traumas. We will call them events in our lives that catch us off guard or can't really be explained in a way that we can understand it. So whatever we're experiencing in that time, like what we're eating or what we're smelling or what we're doing, um, can then become a trigger uh, for these reactions. And one of the main things that I want people to take uh, from this particular episode is that understanding that we have been designed to be creatures of reaction. And that's basically what everyone is doing out there uh, day in and day out is just reacting to each other, kind of keeping the so-called negative ripples of um, negative emotions and uh, so what people think are their feelings just stimulated. So working with, uh, once again, this philosophy is to assist uh, one in how to break those patterns, how to see that it is just conditioning that has happened, and how to work toward uh, reconditioning oneself through just repetition of things uh, day in and day out. So this isn't some uh, metaphysical um, uh, jargon and special uh, potions that will... Uh, heal people, so to say. It's uh, actual daily activities that that we just do anyway, and we can choose to do them in a different way through discipline and uh, create a completely different uh, environment. And when you put it that way, it seems like none of us are really being 100% authentic, because technically with associations, we can't be, unless we consciously understand where these associations are coming from and heal them, can we be our own person in a way? I was at a uh, in a hospital environment and I was having a conversation with uh, my two brothers and the subject of politics came up and um, I tend to do my best to stay out of those uh, particular topics. But uh, one of my brothers asked me to give my opinion and I said, well, I do my best to walk through life with a lack of opinion because opinions is what eventually starts wars. And um, he said, you can't live without an opinion. And I said, well, what I mean by that when I say that is I accept that anything that I say that I like or that, um, that I'm about 
has a high likelihood to have been influenced by someone or something. And so rather than continuing to spread that, I'd rather have an open mind, uh, listen to other people's views, and look at it as fresh as I can. So I said, do you know why you drive a Ford truck? Do you know why you are a Republican? Do you know why you live in the area that you do? It's because your daddy drove a Ford truck and your daddy exemplified these things that you uh, find very honorable now that you exemplify those things and you think that's you. And it was just training. And I said, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not judging it. We can't think that we truly think for ourselves when we follow a pattern of something that has been before us. And once again, that's not judging that. Anyone that chooses to do that, follow their family lineage and and honor their, their family crest. Uh, I'm in full support of that. I am also want the understanding with that that you're not dissecting and understanding yourself as an individual. And uh, But sometimes that uh, that family unit, that support, that security is more important to some people than understanding themselves. And there are people that are here to experience that. That's why I say it has to exist. So anybody that's seeking that, that's not what I'm seeking. But anybody that is, then uh, I want to support you to seek that because there are people that are here that are supposed to do that. The problem is is that most people in our culture expect everyone around them to do the things that they do the way that they do them, rather than accepting uh, all of these different aspects that have to coexist. And this is a big part of why in my family practice, uh, my very first step is introducing people to themselves um, through these uh, two systems that I work with, with the human design and the destiny card system. Uh, it can really help people to confirm things about themselves that they've heard, doubts that they have, and help break through some of those stigmas uh, to begin unpeeling that onion, as some people call it. And it is a lifelong process. So it's not something that you win. It's just something that you slowly start to alter and change in your life, and it becomes more of a lifestyle rather than just a way of thinking. So this philosophy really turns into just that, a lifestyle, uh, rather than um, just the philosophical idea of it. So you mentioned one example about uh, your your brother in politics and the Ford truck. What are some other examples? I mean, obviously, we said that pretty much everything creates an association. What are just some examples that, that people uh, might connect to that we can just throw out there? Dietary issues, for example. Uh, there is the the whole understanding that, say, you're eating ice cream in an automobile and then all of a sudden you get rammed from the back and you had just taken a bite of um, of that ice cream and then you find out later on down the road that you're lactose intolerant. And you say, well, I used to be able to eat um, ice cream and milk and dairy. So there's, there's certain uh, concepts that, that support that, that when you are, whatever you are experiencing in that trauma, that's the result or the effect that's going to be created. And that's why two people can go through the exact same experience, but 
be focused their attention on some other area or sense of their uh, physical makeup, the body, through whether it was through touch or through smell or through what they were thinking. or So there's many variables in that. And that's why time after time, uh, two people very rarely react to the same situation, even similarly, uh, lots of times. Uh, different levels of trauma for all parties involved. You know, that could be even a uh, a smell that's remembered that evokes fear, and the person can go into an anxiety attack and not realize why, um, because they, they're not keyed in or present enough to realize that they they noticed that scent before they had the reaction. And so normally it takes people going through those types of reactions for long periods of time, maybe even years before they can get to, okay, I know what this is, but I rem- now I'm starting to remember that smell or that taste or that action or that frequency or whatever it is that sets them off. So typically that's, uh, you know, uh, from my own experience of going through uh, five to seven years of that level of healing, it took me about five years before I would accept the level of uh, subtlety that these emotions truly play on us. And once you go through a trauma, then from my perspective, that makes you extra sense perceptive. And so you sense the pain or the discomfort uh, before it even turns physical, but it feels very, very physical, but it is still energetic and emotional. So these traumas can happen many, many different ways, and lots of times people don't uh, even remember uh, how they got created uh, because we weren't taught to pay attention to those level of subtleties. And so hopefully this is what we're going to open up, continue to open up more and more for people is to learn to pay attention to the subtleties in life. One example that I would throw out there, and and because I feel that it has made a decent impression on me, uh, and I would think many other people out there, is like TV and Hollywood. Just, you know, movies portraying certain situations. Let's say, you know, you watch a scary movie, and then after you watch that movie, you you have a heightened sense of, like the same thing that you just saw is going to happen to you or you hear a creak that's just like that and you flash back to the movie. It's like this pop culture plays a huge role in our in our associations today. Yeah, and then, you know, they take it to work or they take it to school and they relive it like over and over. It does actually, you know, desensitize our uh, young people especially, but everyone to uh, the sight of blood, to the sight of violence. That's not necessarily a so-called good or beneficial uh, thing because it, it does tend to create a culture that's going to accept more and more and more of that. So regulation is very uh, is a very touchy subject, you know, and everybody has different opinions. Um, I happen to like to watch my entertainment through cartoons and animation and uh, I feel like that the same messages could get across uh, through that media, you know, but people that enjoy acting and um, producing in that manner, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But I do like a separation of that entertainment, and now so much of our culture and its entertainment through TV is the more so-called realistic that it is. I mean, Really, frankly, it seems that our culture enjoys 
seeing people suffer a lot. And I think that actually makes them feel better in their lives because they're at least not having to deal with that. And so um, it seems like a lot of our entertainment is is around that, even the action or the drama, you know, and um, I happen to just enjoy uh, comedies and, like I said, animation or cartoons, that separation between so-called reality um, and entertainment. How would an association play a major role in friction in a relationship, mm. for instance? So one of the main ones is, Say the female um, in the relationship had a uh, stern or uh, questionably abusive uh, father, like uh, vocally or emotionally. What that's going to do is uh, that person, A, through their childhood, they have to block out certain frequencies uh, out of survival. And this typically happens from zero to seven years old or so. And that's just the survival mechanism. The child doesn't know where to put the traumas, where to put the questions, um, even how to form the questions. So it becomes, if it's uh, in their environment constantly, in order to survive, they have to just learn to block them out because they can't understand them. So then, in whether it's a boss or whether it's their um, husband or partner, if that boss or husband or partner has a similar tone or similar frequency to their father, then it immediately creates uh, communication problems to where they literally can't hear what their boss or that male is saying because of the frequency range of the voice. So this can all be worked uh, and corrected over time and through effort. But it is, from my perspective, uh, doing what's hard, learning to make love with the friction, as I say, and uh, being able to hear and be around those frequencies in a loving environment to retrain. Um, it's kind of like working with a beaten dog. Uh, you have to work with that dog for a long time before it trusts. And then you may or may not ever see that full trust, but you're just thankful for whatever you get. So it's very similar when we're opening up ourselves. Uh, you may not get fully there in this lifetime. But the thing is, is that you can be better than you've been. And every little bit helps. So once again, you're not doing this for other people. You're using other people and the, the natural situations in your life to make your life easier to manage. Uh, you're not looking to ascend to another realm. That isn't what this is about. This is about learning to be in the joy in life while dealing with all of the everyday aspects that everybody has to deal with and how to use those situations to improve yourself. And this is, once again, where we break down the pillars and um, the different step-by-step -step processes of how to uh, work on these different um, subjects. And, and I think it's like a mainstream psychology concept now where, where we can identify a lot of our behavior and look at our childhood and we can kind of verify or, or find out where we think it's, it comes from. But what we're talking about is doing that and then taking it to the next level and actually trying to heal it 
versus just identifying it and whether whether you use that to accept or justify right yeah and i think that's a a great point that that does seem to be where our our culture's uh, way has reached and it's it's created some imbalances um because some people just use it for a victim mentality but uh, it is just a step to be able to recognize like where it was formed. Just like any athlete that has an injury, say um, tears an ACL, they got to go through the time to rehab and rebuild that back. And so working on this emotional issue is issues are very similar. Once we recognize uh, what created the issue, uh, the emotional issue at some point, uh, seeing that is like knowing what you did to incur the injury as an athlete, uh, whether it was you turned the wrong way or you got bent the wrong way. But then they still have the rehab to go through. So the rehab in emotional work is the retraining of the subconscious mind of the and looking at the emotions just like you would children and i bring so much of this back to dealing with like just a five to eight year old child and so it's reminding that every time you go into a situation say that um i recognized or i was able to help someone recognize that their boss was bringing up stuff for them to work with their father then in order to uh, heal and work with that that separation of those frequencies, then my suggestion would be to her every time she interacts with him to remind herself, and I like to say it's around the navel or the second energy center chakra. Uh, this is where our little boy and little girl reside. And I like to suggest to physically rub the belly, remind uh, little Johnny or little Debbie, hey, this isn't that. This is a complete different situation, and now I'm an adult. And this person isn't attacking me. And as a matter of fact, now I can see that my father wasn't attacking me either. He didn't know how to show love, maybe because it wasn't represented in his family. So his way was to be stern, to be an example of hardworking. And I misconstrued that as being boring and mean and just uh, suffering all the time. Um, so, see, that's not, that's not justifying that's being an adult and having enough of life to go, hey, things aren't the way that we remember that they were. See, we can't trust our memories because our memories are formed at different times of our life. And then we choose to still hold on to that memory 20 years later. We should have gained enough wisdom to completely see that memory differently. But we don't because we want to hold blame to people. And anytime we want to hold someone at blame for something we've been through, we are never going to see it differently than we do. So this is one of the first steps that while you're reminding yourself that in the present moment, this that is happening is not that of the past. It's very similar to a mother picking up their five-year-old that skinned their knee and blows on the knee and tells the child that it's okay. And the child believes the mama. She's doing energy work. In that moment, because the child believes in the mom so much, so it works. Working on healing that in the present and then going back and being willing to revisit in the rearview mirror 
a different view of that that went on and to choose to see that that was taken as a child as um, abusive or aggressive or uh, too harshly. And sometimes this is just a kid's design. Um, And I can help, you know, of course, point that out. But there's all these different levels of sensitivities. And so the the so-called giver of the trauma doesn't always mean it that way. That can be just their way of showing love, but it's not the way that the child receives love. So this is a communication breakdown. So being willing to see that, that no, they did the best that they could with what they had to work with. That's where I talk about acceptance. And acceptance is one of those uh, pillars that we discuss. And uh, you've got to be able to get to that acceptance to move on into this step that I'm talking about because release work can't happen without acceptance. And that's everything that we're starting to get into now is the release work. of We've gone through recognition. Now it's the respecting it and then redirecting it. I've called it the three R's before. Recognize, respect, and redirect. So we've recognized where it come from. We respect the situation in the present is really not what we think that it is. And now we're going to choose to redirect both of those energies. And one is dealing with forgiveness and acceptance of the past. And the other one is the recognition that this is only happening in my present moment due to this trauma. My boss is trying to communicate with me so that we can work as a team better. He's not attacking me. Then next comes my be willing to do that at least a hundred times and to fail at least 51 times of those hundred. Go ahead and give yourself that because there's no race. There's no hurry. There's never uh, an opportunity to run out of work to do on ourselves. I've tried. (laughs) I hadn't run out yet. Well, I I was thinking that, (laughs) and this is just an observation. I'm not a parent. Um, but it's almost like if you're a parent now, it would be, or it seems like it would be an easy way to reflect on your parents being a parent going through, uh, you know, the, the tough times dealing with their behavior or, or dealing with working one or two jobs while, while being a parent and then looking back at, uh, how you were brought up and what the the things that your parents did for you and then just having compassion for that, right? Yeah. You know, like I said, when we study these um, to understand people at an energetic level and can actually see their charts and see how, like, delicate they are. Like like I was working with this uh, one friend of mine that uh, we pulled up their mother. She was just completely open. She had, like, one center that was activated in the human design system and, and uh, all the rest of the centers are white and everywhere where the center's white, it shows that they're like empathic. They're sponges. I didn't know anything about her so-called uh, childhood. Um, but I just started kind of saying, Hey, if she was in like any type of um, abusive or neglectful environment at all, it was affecting her like way more, more than likely than her siblings and, and just the more that I talked, the more that he kind of he started getting upset and he teared up some. And I said, so 
believe me, brother, you may have some issues with your mom, but it's a miracle that she can just function like a somewhat normal human being every day. And I'm saying that never meaning her, but telling you energetically that she has to overcome in her life a lot more than you've had to overcome in yours and possibly a lot more than your father has had to overcome. And this is where looking at everybody as individuals, I feel like has its true benefit because um, everybody isn't necessarily energetically created equal, let's say. Um, different people carry different uh, so-called rewards and costs for their skills or for their deficiencies. And that shouldn't be judged because the beauty of it is, is that we all have it to share with one another. And that's the other beauty of, of this system is it shows like anywhere where Aaron here has a, a center uh, that is white, and I have that center activated, then when we get within five feet of each other, it's like plugging into a receptacle. And so that's why two people can do the work of more than two people, because you can actually create a third energetic baby, so to say, and and that can enhance both parties so much. So we we both enhance each other. We um, deprive each other. Uh, sometimes it can be called like energy vampires. People can suck our energy. But when you understand it and you consciously utilize it together and you're able to uh, both parties or all the parties involved to be interested in truly playing their role the way they were designed to play it and relish in that role, then that becomes like a machine that can um, can do incredible things. And so... When two or more are gathered in consciousness, I like to suggest um, amazing things uh, can happen. Well, let's hope we're not breaking any child labor laws. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that. Put that baby to work. <laughs> uh, you, you were talking about uh, memories, and I wanted to get your take on this. Do you think memories are formed uh, when a sense, like, like formed around senses, whether it be vision, a visual memory, or a smell, or uh, almost like um, uh, they could be formed with multiple memories that kind of capture a part of time? Yeah, I mean, uh, the memory is, is connected to the senses, I feel, and that's uh, kind of what works on a... Um, cellular level or uh, stuff are stored in energy stored in the muscles um, as well as uh, the mental field and even the spiritual field or levels of the energy field. The senses uh, certainly do play a role in, in, I think, the sensitivity that is developed. And I think that's why it's, it's good to look at all the senses together and look at uh, how like harmonizing can help because sometimes that may be uh, that you've got a sensitivity to something that you're eating, but sound may be able to help uh, with that issue. Once again, if you're open to the possibilities, because it's all frequency, you know, as uh, Nikola Tesla said, you know, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, look in the realms of energy and frequency and vibration. They're all just different levels of vibration. You know, my, dream so to say is to see you know culture possibly before my days are up to where people are working to strengthen their themselves on all these different levels simultaneously and seeing that the the senses are connected to these different levels 
So working with all the senses simultaneously seems to be uh, one of the most um, high vibrational therapies one can do for themselves. But this starts at how we perceive things. And I feel like that once you get a very good grasp on the perception and management of these emotions, and then you start bringing in uh, tools such as sound and, and taste and touch, uh, you can take it to a whole, a whole new level. And so rather than focusing on healing in this podcast, I want to do my best to stay away from that word and allow everyone to do their own healing but to be focused that we're focused on wellness here and self-growth. And through that self-growth, we have to release. And in that releasing, it's not um, always fun. Uh, and it's not easy necessarily because we've got to sometimes go through those so-called negative emotions to, uh, to experience that release. But even with crying, there's two different types of crying. There's a releasing cry and there's a victim cry. And so most people just cry, and I'll tell them uh, every now and then I'll tell a, a client, I'll say, uh, you just need to cry properly. And they'll be like, I, I feel like that's all that I do now is every day is I cry. And I say, but you're not crying to release. You're crying with the victim. You're feeling sorry for yourself when you're crying, aren't you? And typically they do come around to admitting that. So uh, that crying can never end. Uh, it has to be that willingness to want to change that vibration. And um, and then when the crying is there, you're visualizing and, and accepting that this is a release of just energy that needs to come out. And I'm looking forward to seeing this differently. But there's the key, Aaron. There's the key, all you beautiful people out there, is that you have to have the willingness to see it differently. Because if I'm looking at a uh, a painting that is just purple and somebody walks up and says, Oh, that's a pretty shade of red. And I can either argue with them and try to prove to them that that's purple and they can try to prove to me that it's red, or I can accept that purple has red in it. That's the combination of blue and red. Because somebody next may walk up and say, that's an interesting shade of blue. They're all right. And I would also thank them for their uh, perspective because you may not have ever thought to look at it that yeah, way. It's creative. Exactly. And so so I can now something that's purple, now I can see it either more red or more blue. And so to me, that expands my view. And rather than wasting energy on debating or arguing, uh, I come to a common ground because I was willing to. And... That's a big step is that if we're willing to see these differences, if we're willing to accept these differences, if we're willing to manage these differences, differences, there's no problem with differences. It's the failure to manage them. It's the failure to communicate them. But differences is beautiful. Differences are beautiful. So I may have asked that last question a little odd, and, and I think I left out a major part of what I, what I wanted to get at was, are our memories almost like trapped emotions? Like, do we only remember things that are emotionally injected? So whether it be extreme happiness... Like, uh, like I remember some of the, the days when I used to play wiffle ball and like, I can remember like hitting a home run, like, but I'm not remembering like, you know, getting a ground ball, uh, or like, you know, extreme trauma. Uh, I mean, you know, some people may block out extreme, extreme traumas, but, but remembering like, you know, bad times or, you know, the things we associate, uh, yeah, it is normally, I think the memories are attached to emotions. 
that's why a lot of uh, there's not a lot of people that you know remember just mundane things. There will be a specific event, and although the person may not directly connect it to an emotion, because like it may not make them cry in the present moment or something, but I remember uh, talking with a gentleman one time, and he can he said that he remembered the first time that he this guy was in his fifties. And he said he remembered the first time that he was sad. And he said he remembered just standing at the window, uh, looking out. It was a beautiful day, and there was nothing wrong. And he was just standing in the window crying. Didn't know why. And then many years later, when he starts to study energy and understand energy and emotions, and then what was really going on in his childhood at that time between his mother and father not getting along, he was absorbing their sadness. So see, that's another side of it, is that it's not only an event. It can be just something like absorption. And that's why the word trauma, when people hear that, they go to an extreme right away in their thinking. But a trauma can be a car door closing. A trauma can be a house door closing. A plate falling from a shelf onto the floor. Um, and a person's in like a compromised position, and when that hits, it scares them, and then they get a catch in their back, and then they might deal with that for the rest of their life. But if it was a catch in the lower back, then really what they were doing is more than likely they were thinking and worrying about some financial issues at that point in time, and that's why it caught in that area. Because, yes, these emotions and the so-called traumas and the timing, all of that is uh, coexistent and it makes like a little stamp and it creates a, all those variables can create a very difficult uh, dissection to, um, to, you know, to understand all the levels of it. But the more that you work on with yourself, then the more that you see that it starts to fit together and you can work on multiple issues simultaneously by seeing kind of the emotional umbrella that they all fall under. I thought it was interesting that you used uh, an example of the athlete. And while you were uh, giving that example, I also thought about like a, like a rookie athlete coming right out of you know college, maybe going into the NFL, we'll, we'll say. Uh, somebody who's never really had an injury, they're going to be able to go like to the wall, you know, run without any hesitation, do things that a lot of the veterans can't. So maybe there's a thing where uh, it's not just the degradation of the body between right, you know, rookie athletes and veteran athletes, but also the, the lack of associations. Because once once you have uh, once you get hit in the NFL or if we're talking about another sport where uh, you can get severely injured by going all out, you know, we could say NASCAR, like, uh, you know, hitting the wall. Yeah. yeah. Once you have felt that, then you start to develop hesitancies going certain speeds or doing certain things. Yeah. And I think this is very important for when people decide to walk away from something. And there have been players uh, such as I'm familiar with Troy Palomalu from the Pittsburgh Steelers and he decided to uh, to retire, and he was still at a very high level of his game. But from my understanding, what he realized is that he was thinking about his wife and his kids when he was on the field, and he took that as not a good sign. It's a good sign for your family to come first, but not when you're in a dangerous um, profession like that. 
And so he decided to step away before uh, something, a serious injury, took him away. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being a severe disadvantage if your head's not 100% in it. So we've talked about associations that, you know, may be more of the negative side of things, traumas. But what about good associations? The way that I like to present looking at this is just anything that takes you off your center is against you. So like all the food that you're putting in your body is either uh, depleting you or it's energizing and helping you. So with good associations, very similar to good emotions, they so-called feel good uh, when they really emote good. But, you know, there's going to be a pendulum swing with that, and you're going to have to um, experience the opposite so that you have the association and the difference between the two. So good associations is very similar. It's, It's you're still creating an attachment. So, you know, we can have, as I guess you could call it nostalgia, that people hold on to things that mean a lot to them. But the cost of that is when something happens to the piece of nostalgia, then it brings all the pain that to equate the joy that that article had brought. So, you know, once again, people are welcome to do that, but indulging in the emotions or indulging in the um, associations is creating an attachment. And that attachment is always going to have to be uh, paid a cost. So, you know, it's fine to have those associations or memories, uh, but like holding on to the nostalgia and the, the objects or the material things that remind you of that just to realize that that does have a cost because you're creating an attachment. And so these associations uh, one of the biggest issues with them is the attachment that the associations have created. So we'll do our best to stay out of the so-called realm of good and bad or so-called positive and negative, except in the views of polarity, because they both have to exist. So we do choose to discuss them in the view of polarity. Uh, once again, that is the view of accepting that both have to exist rather than duality and seeing the so-called good as good and the so-called bad as bad or negative uh, and positive, um, right or wrong, uh, and look at it as more of a, um, a coexistence that has to be there. And that is uh, per situation, per the people that are involved. And so that can bring up a lot of general um, attacks so to say, but specifics are very important in in all of that. Some examples of good associations and and the the cost attached to them. Some things that come to mind would be maybe uh, if you have a favorite sports figure or idol, and then you find out like some bad news about them. Right. Uh, you know, kind of coming to terms, or you know, maybe you just can't accept the the bad news because you've built this picture of who they are in your mind. Uh, and then another side of that, uh, maybe uh, uh, you take some good associations or you take some associations from a, a relationship that you deemed were good things. And then uh, maybe in your next relationship, you see those same associations there and maybe it, maybe it kind of creates like rose colored glasses and you, it prevents you from, from being real and seeing some other aspects of of the relationship that may not be true. Or as children, you know, like I know a situation where 
the only time that uh, the 14-year-old son could get time with his dad is when the dad went out on the porch to smoke a cigarette. So this boy starts smoking cigarettes at, at 14 years old and still goes through time, you know, uh, later on in life where he he's able to manage it, but he still slips into that. So anytime stress or worry comes in, uh, that's the association because that's mainly the energy that uh, their dad carried, and that's what that habit was created around. And he had at that time as a child, he even carried um, signs of asthma, which later got cleared up through dietary stuff. But that was considered a good association because the child wanted to be with uh, the parent so bad, and the parent didn't choose to see that as a so-called uh, bad uh, association. So once again, we see the the good and bad, the right and wrong is just a perception. Um, it's just a perception. So that's why we're going to do our best to stay out of judgment throughout this whole podcast. And we are here to give a wider view. Uh, we're not here to say what's right and what's wrong. Um, I'm just here to share what has had results, and you're here to share what's had results that you've worked with. And hopefully we can help each other um, together have better results. But we're not going to create a platform for arguing or trying to uh, prove who's right about any subject um, on this podcast. So in your opinion, how much of addiction could be association? A huge part. I mean, uh, you know, I know that uh, addiction now has come to be seen as a lack of connection with people and so the person can just shift that connection that they really need from people to a substance or to an activity and uh, if they create a so-called good sensation uh, while or after they they have that experience then that's going to be something that they seek after and then even at times if they try to go out and even break that habit uh, what happens to so many people that are listening to this, and maybe you and I have experienced this at different levels as well, is that you'll go out and you'll try to create that uh, community, that, those connections, and then it just seems like people lie to you. It seems like they let you down. They judge you. And so it just pushes that person back to that substance, that action, that they don't have to worry about uh, being lied to or done wrong because that alcohol, that a substance, that um, working out, whatever that is, it won't do them wrong, so to say. So there's people that do even so-called good things like working out or yoga or anything like that to an extreme because they're running from their emotional stuff. So their addiction is in being physical, and the body can only take so much of that. So, yes, there's a lot of um, addiction around association. Yeah, and I think mainstream science says that maybe most addictions are genetic. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that they're now saying that are genetic. And I feel like a lot of that puts people in victim role because they feel like, oh, well, it's genetic. I can't change my genetics. Right. And and those same people lots of times are some of the biggest givers and helpers that there are in the world. But what hopefully we can shift their understanding and perception to is is seeing that they can help their family, um, both in the past, the people that are older than them and the future, their children or grandchildren, by just working on themselves to break that pattern. And so 
that can become incentive that rather than being the victim, break the pattern so your child doesn't have to carry that on. And um, I've proven in my own ways that energy can override DNA. I've proven that through raising children. And so that's something that I'm proposing to people is uh, consider that, that if you do this work and you release it and you don't need apologies, you don't need uh, your other, your family to recognize you, you don't need that. Um, it's really that recognition it comes down to. Part of the ego wants the recognition. And one of my great teachers one time shared with me and said, uh, if you really want to be of service, you do it in a way where nobody knows you did anything. And so when we want to be service of our family, that's one of the most beautiful and loving things that one can do is just work on themselves and you change your family dynamics uh, through release, through acceptance, and through forgiveness, and through redirecting the energy over a long period of time. So I think, I mean, I think there is something to that, and that would be called epigenetics, where you can, you can actually change your DNA. So, so uh, I, you know, when I when I said, oh, how can I change my DNA? Well, I guess science also says epigenetics. You can, or I guess that's a little fringe right now. Um, so I, I guess I wanted to talk about my path with uh, trying to figure out where my Pennsylvania association uh, has come from. So as an example. Uh, for other people to see, and then Alexander can comment because I haven't shared this with him yet. Uh, and then maybe I won't have to talk about it ever again because I, I I am a little tired of saying it, and because it isn't. I mean, it's a it's a good example because it's something that I've gone through and haven't worked through yet. But the association comes from driving through Pennsylvania and seeing everything kind of desolate, like towns like like Scranton. They're kind of old mill towns, and it's kind of actually where I grew up. Um, up north, there's a lot of small towns that have like a giant mill that's just, I mean, right now they're all, they're no longer in use. Uh, they're run down and the town was kind of built around them. So there's just a ton of, of houses in a row and blocks. And that whole area is kind of desolate because all the jobs are gone. So thinking back to that, I think I equate it to it used to be a happier time. You know, when that mill was open, it was a place for hope. Uh, it was a place for for jobs where people could afford housing, and it was just it was just a happy time. And now it's just a sad existence because um, nobody, there's no jobs there, so people have to go other places, and and uh, the place isn't kept up. That's as far as I've gotten in determining where in my childhood that I can remember, uh, kind of feeling that way of, you know, just driving through those areas and seeing the sad state of what it is now. So maybe you can maybe go the emotional route and uh, yeah, look no, at that. I mean, I think, first of all, that's, you know, great work. And uh, one of the suggestions I'd like to share is looking at that from the perspective of, A, everything is in cycles and, as something prospers, it has a peak, and then it has a waning. Uh, this is so with the moon. This is so with the ocean. This is so with everything in nature that I've studied for over 20 years. So, once again, the freedom in that is the perception of it. So, making that association that it being desolate and run down 
maybe brings up the sadness that you were talking about. Now, that sadness uh, would be useful to see where you remember feeling that like in your hometown because you related it to your hometown. And then choosing to have an adult conversation with that little boy and say that you went back to where you just remember, say, maybe at 10 years old, like uh, walking home from school one day and you go down this one alleyway and you might see some people on drugs. You didn't understand what it was, but you could tell that something wasn't right. It was run down and you had this sense of sadness now, depending on your design, you could be either picking that up from somebody or it could be your own. But now to sit there and to be able to talk to that little boy and to say, well, in order for opportunity and growth, expansion, newness, beauty, then it has to start from desolation, ugliness, despair. So everywhere that we see despair, there's opportunity. That's not sticking your head in the dirt. That's not, that's not acting in, uh, like everything is rose-colored glasses. That's not um, being Pollyanna. That's simply accepting that an ending has been here. This means that there's a new beginning that has an opportunity, and it's no telling what this could be. That could be... Five months from now or five years from now, uh, nobody really knows the timing. But as new uh, areas of small cities get uh, rejuvenated, it is a beautiful feeling. And so possibly a suggestion to go to a town that maybe has been re newly renovated or is in the process of it and walk in that energy and then hold that vision for that area of land that you would like to be healed, so to say, um, because it will come to pass more than likely for that part of that cycle to come back through. And then, you know, working with yourself at even a deeper level to realize that your environment uh, doesn't necessarily have to control your sense or your feeling and but to that you can only do that through releasing and allowing that little boy that was hurt to be hurt to explain to him a different way to to view it and now if you start viewing that differently every time that it comes up as a vibration in your thoughts you change the frequency that you're tuning your field to so see you're not trying to get rid of the thought you're trying to change the vibration when the thought comes in and then what I've proven many, many times is once you've gotten that change, then that thought ceases to exist. It may come up very randomly between long periods of time, just as a little reminder. So this is what I've proven from an energetic standpoint over working on healing a trauma of myself, losing my wife uh, 10 years ago. And I worked on that every single day for seven years and I felt the shift right at the seven-year mark to there not being any more despair or um, so-called negative experiences. And that was because I went through the dissection of every part of that, uh, very similar to what I just said with you. But did you have any questions about 
uh, any of that that I shared. No, that was a good way of putting it. Um, I was choosing or I was seeing it at, from a good uh, or a so-called bad standpoint, and you offered the other perspective of a so-called good uh, standpoint where I was, you know, I was choosing to see it degrade and you were choosing it to see opportunity. I, I definitely like that. And, but the, and I do think that the big key to that is realizing that that is different from positive thinking or uh, being Pollyanna about it. It's, and the step that is missed in that is the acceptance part of, yes, this was thriving at one time and that was beautiful. Now decay has to come. But now rebirth has an opportunity to come back again. And that can maybe even drive you to want to be part of some rebirth somewhere. And then you can just honor. I mean, it can even become that Pennsylvania then becomes uh, an honorary place because it helps you to feel that. Um, and then down the road, uh, there may be complete rejuvenation of the areas that you went through that you didn't like. And then you're open to a different vibration. See, you've taken the personal or the Pennsylvania out of it. And you've gone, oh, yeah, this is an association to what this makes me reflect on. Yep. And that, that changes the whole game. And it's the same with people. When we can see that the people are just bringing the, the lesson in, the opportunity for us to heal something from the past, then we can stop forcing people actually to play certain roles in our lives. And people are playing roles they have no ideas that they're playing. And it's all to help us with our healing. But most people leave relationship after relationship running from themselves, really. Um, they, they say it's the other person. But similar issues tend to come up in uh, reoccurring relationships. The common denominator. <laughs> yeah, the common denominator. <laughs> so, I mean, this brings up like old barns, especially in this area where people will, um, if, they, you know, if they fall down, they will reclaim the wood and make just beautiful things out of it. Right, yeah. And that, and that is just a different perspective. And that way, you know, that barn may be in five different places, homes, uh, in like little tables or whatever. So, uh, so that is another uh, great example of just that perception. Because you're, see, you're not trying to convince yourself of something. This change of perception is you embody it. Mm -hmm. So that's why you can tell yourself that you love yourself a thousand times but if you don't mean it one yeah. of those times you're not receiving very much vibration from that at all and this is where i share with people that carry wisdom they can say something one time and just melt you to where somebody else may have said that to you a thousand times but the difference is the wise person has done what they're saying and the other people are just talking about it and that's what we have now is we have a lot of people sharing information, but very few that are actually walking the walk or that have walked the walk. Because most of the time, the people that have walked the walk, they don't care to talk a whole lot about it. we got a lot of talkers out there. So turn the language inside and, you know, talk to yourself. Heal that little boy, that little girl. Have those talks with them. The work that we do on ourselves helps everyone that we we love and that we're close to. So, in wrapping up associations, uh, you know, we talked about word associations. Now we're talking about uh, all other associations. What are some examples of of like lighthearted examples that um, everyone out there can start off looking at 
and tracing back and have fun with uh, before they start getting into the the deep stuff. Okay, so something simple like I'll use myself insecurity for example. So a way to work on insecurity would be to go and start like classes of something that I've maybe maybe never even considered doing before. Because the point is, is to be ignorant at something and to be willing to trust yourself to grow. So I might sign up for a knitting class or I might sign up for an oil painting class and go through these different situations of, of accepting that ignorance. Once again, being humble to receive information and then to go through the motions. And even when you think that you've learned something and you've got another way to do it, to still be willing to go through being instructed or directed. So that's just an example of like, once again, how to, the answer most of the time is of how do I help myself break this or change this? It's, well, do what's hard. And, and so if it's insecurity, then it's going and putting yourself in vulnerable situations. And while you're doing that, you're talking to that little boy or little girl and explaining, no, this is different than when we grew up and we didn't have like a supportive mother or father. Um, no, I have a wife that loves me or, or I have a brother that does or I believe in myself enough more than any external person. You know, whatever it is that you feed yourself with to almost uh, reteach or retrain that little boy or little girl to be more relaxed in these situations of being a newbie at something or being judged by others that you feel like are better than you at something. And so that doing that over a period of time will slowly build that. It's not about building self-confidence. From my perspective, it's about building the acceptance of failure is how you work on insecurity. Because what I've proven is up to this point, all the positive affirmations and praise, although we like it, I don't really see it feeding us. It's that willingness to fail, that willingness to be able to laugh at yourself, to not take everything so seriously is what I feel like has helped me in the realm of insecurity. Because I still get nervous at just about everything that I do. Insecurity is my best friend. He's always right there, right beside frustration. So with frustration, I like to say uh, work on that in your family. Most people have somebody in their family that really frustrates them, whether it's a mother or father or a sibling or aunt or uncle. Then learn to be around that person and not let it affect you at all. To allow them to say the most asinine things. To exhibit examples of things that you don't approve of. And accept it. Because if you try to change it, you're going to run into opposition. But if you accept it, and remember, acceptance does not mean condoning. Acceptance is just truly that. You're accepting in this moment this is actually happening. So start with acceptance. And then do what's hard. And if you do that long enough, it will change the vibration of the future when you are in a similar act, how your energy field and your emotions react to that action. But it's very similar to working out. You don't just work out one time. That's why I say be willing to do it 100 times and to fail 50% of the time at least. 
Failure is just an opportunity to grow and learn. We appreciate your interest in self-growth, conscious communication, and continuing to ask the wise wise. And remember, gradual changes over long periods of time equals lasting results. The information in this podcast has been developed over 20 years by Alexander in his observation of his personal life, private practice, and professional environments. This information is meant for educational purposes only and is not suggested as a replacement for traditional therapies or medications. As a matter of fact, we suggest to not believe any of this information, nor any of the information out there in the world. Remember, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Seek the wise. We are looking forward to continuing to provide this information through this platform, and if you are drawn to support us, you can do so by the following. Sharing is caring. Share the podcast with like-minded individuals. Emotional responsibility and energetic wisdom can save the world. If you are drawn to support us monetarily, you can do so by visiting our patron page where you can make a monthly donation in exchange for exclusive Wise Wise perks. You can do this by visiting wise-wise.com slash patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Next, you can head over to Alexander's website where you can book private consultations in person, by phone, or on Skype. Find out more information on his live performances, class schedules, products, including birth chart analysis reports and music, and check out more information on his sound therapy tables. To do so, you can visit vibrotune.com, V-I-B-R-O-T-U-N-E.com. Finally, if you have been searching your entire life for consciously created apparel featuring the WiseWise logo apparel, Alexander theme clothing, or other alternative perspective designs, you can head over to Verity's Apparel, where you can find all that and more. That is veritiesapparel.com, V-E-R-I-T-E-E-S-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. We want to thank you for being part of this journey.